We're going to talk today, it's a very important lesson, concerning love and Christian liberty. Specifically, Paul is going to be addressing a new issue concerning eating meat that's offered to idols. Now, that's really not, that's really not an issue in our culture, but in Paul's day, just so you understand what was happening, first of all, people didn't eat meat a lot. You know, for us, we eat meat all the time. But when you're talking about, and this is true even a lot of other cultures today, in poorer cultures, meat was really something that was, you had to pay a lot of money for it. And, well, even today, you've got to pay a lot of money for meat. So, the issue here was is that when someone went to the market, oftentimes meat was brought to a temple an animal was brought to the temple to be sacrificed there. And then what the priests would do is that they wouldn't sacrifice all of the animal, that is, the pagan priests. They wouldn't sacrifice all of the animal. What they would do then is, you know, of course, cut it up, and they would sell it in the local market. And the prophet would be brought back to the temple. Now, what was going on here is that there were some Christians who were eating meat that had been offered to an idol, that had been dedicated to an idol. And they were, and there were some Christians who saw this who had a problem with that. And so there was this issue about who's right and who's wrong. And are we allowed to eat meat that's awful to an idol because an idol really basically isn't anything? Or should we abstain from that? And so really it comes down to an issue of liberty. I want you to understand what I'm talking about. Another word for liberty is freedom. The issue is freedom. Now, Paul's going to talk about freedom today that you and I have, but that there is a bounds to freedom. There is a restraint on freedom, and the restraint is love. Love for others. Now, here's the issue. It's an issue today in our culture especially, today in the church. Let me explain to you what's happened in the church. What has happened in the church is this. At one time, we had rules for everything. Can't do this, can't do that, can't read the Sunday comics, can't go here, can't do that. And and there were biblical reasons for that. You've got to abstain from worldliness. Whatever worldliness was, and whatever worldliness was, was whatever, whoever decided in the leadership of the church. And so you were to abstain from that. Can't dress like a man, ladies. Guys can't have a beard. You know, gotta have, gotta have your hair short. You know, so all these different things. And so we used to have a lot of things that used to judge spirituality by. Now what happens is, is when you have one extreme, and that is an extreme. Everybody understand me? When you have legalism, that is an extreme. Our tendency as human beings is to swing the pendulum, not to a balance, but completely over to the other side, where now I'm free to do anything I want to do. You can't tell me what, how I'm supposed to. You can't tell me how I'm supposed to dress. You can't tell me how I'm supposed to wear my hair. You can't, and, and nobody's going to. First of all, let me just say that. But the attitude is, is I have freedom in Jesus to do whatever I want to do. I have freedom in Jesus to do whatever I want to do. Now Paul's going to address that attitude because basically, you have people on both sides of the issue here when we talk about the issue of meat offered to an idol. You have some people who says it's an idol. We need to stay away from it. Boo. And then you've got other people who are saying, man, we're in Jesus now. We can do whatever we want. We're free. And Paul says, no, listen, for both of you, there's something you need to understand. 
And especially to the person here who says they're free. They're able to do whatever they want to do. Because the reality is, is you're not able to do what you want to do. And you're not bound by a law. You're bound by love. And see, when you look at what's going on in our society today, everybody wants to do what they want to do and just do it. There, and there's no restraints to what everybody wants to do. The, re, the one restraint that should be there isn't there, and that's love. And that's what Paul's going to talk about today. So let's look. Really, is a short chapter, only 13 verses. And let's take a look at what he says in chapter 8. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything... He knows nothing yet as he ought to know. And if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. So let's look at the first three verses. He's going to contrast love and knowledge. Because here's the thing. When you talk about freedom, the issue of freedom is, is that you have an understanding. You have knowledge. So he's going to contrast that with the restraint of love. And so the first thing he is, is Paul turns his attention to meat offered to idols. Now again, this is not an issue to us. Paul's talking about an issue that really had a serious effect on the well-being of the church. But then he launches into this next point, and that's it. Knowledge alone puffs up an individual. Knowledge alone puffs up an individual. So, in fact, he's going to make this point a little later again as we progress further along in 1 Corinthians. It is good to have knowledge. Does everybody understand me? But there is a danger with knowledge. Listen to me. There is, it is good to have knowledge, but there is a danger with knowledge. The danger with knowledge is, is that knowledge appeals to pride. Knowledge appeals to pride. So here's what happens. When you see people, and look, you just evidenced it with the elections and so forth, and it doesn't matter what the party is. It doesn't matter who's running for what office. Usually when guys are running for office, they want to have one upman over the other person and they want to be like, I'm superior to the guy I'm running against. And so you'll hear them talk about their what? Their education, their education and their credentials as far as the education of where they went to school and everything. Now, here's the point. I want you to understand why. Because knowledge in itself appeals to our pride and so we get puffed up with our pride because... When you talk about somebody who has, you know, knowledge or education or whatever, the chances are that by his demeanor and how he carries himself, especially if it appeals to his pride, it will what? Belittle others. You understand? And, and you're saying, why does he have to make this point with them? Well, remember, let's go all the way back to chapter 3. What were they struggling with in the, in the midst of all of their fighting? They were struggling with what? Pride. One group feeling they were superior over another group. And so here he is, he's saying to them, guys, you need to understand something. It's wonderful that you think you have freedom and you have knowledge to help you to have freedom, but you've got to understand something. Knowledge is not the most important thing because knowledge will puff you up. Now just let's stop for a moment. There is another point here that needs to be made. Spiritual knowledge will puff you up because you might be here and you don't necessarily, maybe all you have is a high school education. Maybe you didn't even graduate from high school. That's very typical in our area. Now, here's the point. But you say, well, I'm not going to really worry about the education thing because that's really not an issue with me. 
Well, maybe conventional secular education is not the issue with you. But maybe you have a great understanding of the Bible, and you have a great understanding of biblical principles, and the danger there is is that even that knowledge can puff you up with pride to where you have a superior position over someone else. And let me be honest with you, that would be probably more of a temptation and a problem in our church than in any other church. Because when you look around here, who's here in our church, you have very few college graduates. Most people are just average, blue-collar, working folks in our church. You know what I'm saying? Education's not a big thing in our church. But, so it really isn't the puffed-up knowledge that will get us in trouble. It's the knowledge of biblical things that will get us in trouble, that will puff us up. So we need to understand there is application to this even here in the midst of our church. So, but, so here's the point. He's going he's to stress what's more important than anything else. Love builds up one another. Love builds up one another. See, this is, this is, why is he laying this? He's laying a foundation to talk about that we need to have restraint on our liberty. Because people who push the liberty and the freedom thing are saying, well, you know, I have a better understanding of things. Now, what does that express right there, that statement? I have a better understanding. What's, he, what's that person focused on? Not just self, but what? We just talked about it. Knowledge, which is steeped in pride. But when Paul's going to talk about the restraint on that, the restraint on our freedom is love. Here's what he's saying. The restraint on our freedom is love because why? Love is concerned about who? Other people. And about building them up. And about building them up. So I want you to see that now. Now, here's the blindness of knowledge. Look at verse 2. Look at what he says. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. Here's the blindness of it. Those who think they have knowledge really have none. Those who think they have knowledge really have none. See, there's a principle there. When you see somebody who acts like they know everything about everything, they don't know nothing. In fact, here's the thing. I've heard this by many, many, many men that I know who are truly scholars, and I've heard them say that the more they study the Scripture, the more they realize they don't know anything. Isn't that interesting? The deeper you grow in your spiritual understanding and maturity, the more you realize you don't know very much at all. And there's a whole lot more to know. Isn't that a paradox? Because you would assume the more you study, the more you would what? No. But here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, no, no, it's reverse. The more you think you know, the less you know. The more you put yourself up there as saying, I know it, I'm it, I'm on top of the world, the more you realize, or you should realize, that you don't know anything. In fact, have you met people like that? They know everything. I mean, you sit there, they know, they, they can... They remember calculus or algebra from high school, you know, or just simple math or whatever. And they're spouting off answers to everything. And you're sitting there and you're quiet and you're being, but on the inside you're saying, you don't know nothing. Isn't that true? Yeah, isn't that true? That's, that's the way we are. Because they, those who think they have knowledge really have none. That's what Paul is saying. In fact, Paul says it the nicer way. Here's what Paul says. If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as 
he ought to know. Here's what he's saying. Here's what Paul says. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he doesn't know anything even as he ought to know something. You see the point there? Even as he ought to know something. He should know something, but he doesn't know anything. Why? Why does Paul disqualify his knowledge? Because his knowledge is steeped in what? Pride. Because the very statement, listen to what I'm saying to you, the very statement, here's the statement, I know is a statement of what? Pride. A statement of pride. When people tell me they know, that just kind of says to you there's some pride going on there. Okay, let's go on. Loving God, now he's going to tell us, is true knowledge. Here again. Those who love God are known by God. This is a great principle. If you truly love God, Paul's stressing this, you're known by Him. You're known by God. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you have, God has intimate knowledge of you. That should be a powerful thing for every one of you here. Because here's the number one attack that the enemy will do on you. Because look at what we do in our churches. We judge spirituality by what? Anybody? What do we judge spirituality by? Give me some things that we judge spirituality by. Okay, knowledge knowledge of what, Bruce? Okay, knowledge of the Bible. What else, guys? Involvement, service. Anything else? What else? It's a big one, especially in Baptist churches. It's the 11th commandment. Thou shalt give. It's interesting, when we get later in Paul, Paul calls it a grace, not a law. So you've got all those different things. Is that truly how we judge spirituality? Is that how spirituality is judged by? Not according to the Bible. It is by us. But rather, the Bible talks about true spirituality is judged by what? Our love for God. In fact, that almost sounds biblical. What did Jesus, when Jesus was asked what the two greatest commandments are, what did Jesus say? The very first one was? Well, to love the Lord God with all thy heart, with all thy strength. What? All thy soul. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, all of the law is hinged on those two commandments. Now, isn't that interesting? Paul is actually giving us an inference to the two greatest commandments here, right here in this verse. Notice what he's saying here. But if anyone loves God... This one is known by him. You've got God's attention. This is what catches God's attention. It's not your attendance. It's not how much you know. It's not how much you give. It's not how much you serve. It's how much you love him. And see, that's got to be an understanding point here. Again, this is going to lay a foundation to what we talk about when we talk about restraining our freedom. When I talk about restraining my freedom... The issue has to be love, and so I have an understanding of what love is. If I love God, I'm going to be known by Him. But again, I'm also thinking about as I'm loving God what that next greatest commandment is. Okay, then look, here's the issue now. Look at with me in verses 4 through 6. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we are for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. Now, here's the part. He's going to talk about this whole issue of eating idols. 
The heart of the issue is the question concerning eating meat offered to idols. So the heart of the issue in this chapter is a question concerning whether or not I can order that T-bone steak from that meat market right outside the temple. Or can I get my hamburger there? Or can I get a roast? Because it had just been offered to, the, to Aphrodite or to Zeus or whoever else the gods were at that time. So that's the issue. So now he goes on and he says this. Here's the true nature of idols. Idols are nothing. Bottom line. An idol is nothing. It's just something that somebody created. That's what Paul is saying here. So, here's what he's going He wants to further make his point here about the whole issue. There is only one God, the creator of the universe. And God is a spirit. He's not made or fashioned by physical, physical things, physical, out of physical things. So there's only one God, the creator of the universe. And that's what Paul's saying here. So that idol is nothing. When you think about India, India has thousands of idols, thousands of gods that are represented in idols. Paul's saying they're nothing. Nothing. Now here's what he's saying. There is only one Lord, Jesus Christ. One Lord, Jesus Christ. So that kind of is really laying a foundation again. So he's talking about the issue of knowledge and love, and now he's gotten into the issue, because look at how he's laying a foundation here to deal with the issue. He talks about the issue of what idols are and what's really true. Idols are nothing, but here's what's true. There's one God and there's one Lord. Now he's going to talk about limiting our freedom. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time in this chapter. We're going to talk about limiting our freedom, and this is a very real issue today. So, as you think about the issue of eating meat, forget that issue. For you, it might be something else. For you, it might be what you're watching. For you, it might be what you're drinking. For you, it might be where you're hanging out at. And you might say, legitimately, I have freedom. And you know what? You do. But the problem is, is that there is a restraint to your freedom. And you've neglected that restraint. And that's what Paul's going to talk about here. Let's look with us, verse 7 through 13. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with the consciousness of an idol, unto now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not command us to God, for neither... If we eat, are we the better, nor if we do not eat, are we the worst. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. If anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? Because of your knowledge... Shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, there's some great thoughts here. Let's look, go through them. First of all, Paul's going to talk about the issue of the immature. Here's what he's doing, okay? He's laid a foundation that knowledge will puff you up, because some people are saying they have knowledge. 
But they're, they're being prideful about it. He says the key thing is love. Everybody understand, love is the issue. Then he goes and he talks about an understanding. He, and the understanding and the knowledge that people should have is that an idol is nothing. So the issue is really a non-issue, but for some it is. And so now as he talks about limiting our freedom, he's going to tell you why you have to limit your freedom. Because here's what he says. Look what verse 7 he says. That some believers are not matured, have not matured in their understanding of idols. Even though you may have an understanding, even though you may have a biblical understanding, you can quote chapter and verse to support your position about why it's okay for you to engage in whatever activity. Paul is making the point here that there are others who don't have that understanding. He's saying to them, guys, you think it's, you, you recognize that an idol is nothing, therefore it's just a T-bone steak laying there. It doesn't matter that it was butchered in the temple, that it had been offered by somebody else. You got it for a good price. You're a bargain hunter. You copped it that day. You told them down the street the market's selling them for this. You know, and all this stuff. So here you are, and to you, you've got that knowledge, but somebody else watching you who is a Christian, maybe doesn't have that knowledge. And to them, they're still conscious. And in their mind, they haven't grown yet to understand an idol is nothing. But to them, that idol means something. They're immature in their faith. They're immature in their understanding. So he's wanting to lay a foundation here to help you to understand. Yeah, you got knowledge. But other people don't necessarily have that knowledge. Other people don't necessarily have that knowledge. In fact, here's what he stresses. They're not able to handle the thought of others eating meat offered to idols. They're not able to handle it. Come on, George, really? Can people be like that? Think about it. Tomorrow people are going hunting tomorrow, right? And you're going to hunt for venison and deer. And a lot of you will have venison and you'll talk about eating venison. And a lot of you love venison. I love venison. But have you met that odd individual that they can't even put it to their lips because they think about what it was walking through the woods. And they don't think about the cow that they're eating that cheeseburger on, but for some, or the chicken, that's right, or the fish, but they think about that deer running through the woods. I can't eat that deer. How many of you have met somebody like that? All of us have, haven't we? And do you force them? Do you say, well, you better eat that deer took me a lot to get that deer, processed it, everything. When I hear, if you know that somebody's coming over your house that's got that kind of feeling, are you purposely going to make mystery stew? You know? Are you purposely going to make something with, with it in it, just sneak it in there and then tell them at the end, oh, by the way, I put venison in it. No, you're not going to do that. Why? Because you're going to be sensitive to who? You're going to be sensitive to the person who's there and their feelings. This is what Paul's talking about. See, we have enough understanding about that issue, but when it comes to other issues where we think we have knowledge and freedom, we say, forget them. They're restraining my freedom, baby. They're holding me back. Isn't that the thought? Isn't that the thought that's going on today? They're restraining my freedom. But listen, just like with the venison issue, because you care for the individual and you don't want to hurt their feelings or whatever, or make them sick, or even waste the meat on them. Some of you, that's your thought. I'm not going to waste it on them. You know? Do you know what I'm saying? So here's the point. They're not able to thought of, they're not able to handle the thought of eating something that was offered to an idol. 
And here's what Paul's saying. Paul then goes on and he wants to stress to them, look, guys, I understand. Here's the issue. Look with what he says in verse 8. He says, But food does not commend us towards God. Neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worst. Food is not going to gain you anywhere near God. Because there's nothing wrong with food. Now, let me just stop for a moment. This is a great verse if you want to put a star by it. Because sometimes in our circle, you'll have somebody come up with the biblical diet. How many of you have seen those kind of things? Biblical diets. The food God meant for you to eat. How many of you have seen that kind of stuff? And if you eat this, you'll be truly... I mean, the inference is, they don't come right out and say this, you will be next to God. You'll be spiritual. Almost like cleanliness, right? Listen, just right here, the apostle says what about food? You're not the worst or the better for food, what you eat. It's not going to gain you anything with God. And again, he's stressing that, for not for the wise who are there who think they have knowledge, but also for the immature who are reading this. Guys, what you're eating is not going to affect your relationship with God. All right? Now, in fact, that's the next point. Food does not affect our standing with God. Food does not affect our standing with God. Then he launches into what really is the heart of what he's talking about here. And that is the care for the person who can't handle it. Let me ask you a question before we launch into this. I'm not going to ask you what the activity is. really is none of my concern. But I want you to think about your life right now. There are some things that you are engaged in that are, or you are participate in that others can't handle. And, but yet you've, you've told yourself, well, you know what? They just need to grow up. How many of you over your life can think of something where they, you know, I mean, we're talking all over your life. Some of you, that's a long period of time. And you, you've engaged in some kind of activity that others can't handle. But you said you're okay because there was no biblical reason why you couldn't do it. And, and how, many, how many of you have had that? You don't need to tell me what it is. Okay, some people are being honest here. Okay, all right. Here's my point. Now, Paul's going to talk about the proper attitude that you and I need to have in a situation like that. Because liberty and freedom is not the most important thing. You may want to write that down. Liberty and your freedom is not the most important thing. Others are. Liberty and freedom is not the most important thing others are. Other people are more important than your freedom. See, this is what's missing in our culture today. In our culture today, everybody, we want to do everything, do whatever. Don't, you know, I got my rights. And, and believe me, and, and if people yell loud enough, they'll find it somewhere. In between the lines, somewhere, that you got that right. And everybody will say, okay, I got that right. So here's the point. He's going to talk about caring. The issue is caring for the person who's not mature because I'm going to care for them because my hope is is as I care for them, they become what? Mature. Now, look with me. The first thing, verse 9, here's what he says. But beware lest how somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. Now, here's my point. The mature should be careful in exercising their freedom. I saw this. I, I, I witnessed this. I didn't witness it. I, I was in the church when this incident happened. I was in a prayer meeting in a church, and there was a new Christian there. And 
All his buddies hung out where? Anybody have a guess where his buddies were hanging out at? At the bar. Corner Tavern. And he asked, you know, is it okay for me? I'm not going to drink. I just go there and get a Coke. And I was shocked. The pastor told him, yeah, it's okay for you to do that. It's okay for you to do that. You know what the sad thing is? This gentleman had a drinking problem. And when you've got a drinking problem, is your will that strong enough that when you go to a bar and it's all there to be able to handle it? I don't care how self-disciplined you are. If you're having a rotten day, things ain't good at home, and you want to escape your emotions, most people will do what if they're in that situation? What will they do? Drink. That's exactly right. That pastor didn't grasp this principle. That pastor didn't grasp this principle. And the principle here is this, that you have to be careful in how you exercise your freedom. For him, it was a communication of that freedom. You have to be sensitive to the person who's there in front of you. Was that pastor biblically correct? Yeah, he was biblically correct. It's not a problem going to a place like that or going to a Chili's or something. And, you know, it's not a problem. There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't do that. But the overall principle is, is that, but for the sake of this brother, it's not good. For his spiritual condition and well-being. And let me be honest with you, he didn't end up in a good condition. It was not, the, it was not a wise thing to do. What were you going to say, Well. It, yeah, here's the thing. Okay, everybody understand. Let's talk about, I brought up the issue of drinking. Does everybody recognize that drinking is not forbidden in the Bible? Everybody recognize that? What is forbidden? Yeah, getting drunk. It's not, it's not having a glass of wine. It's getting drunk. Now, the problem is, is when you talk about drinking, you gotta be careful. Because you don't know what your line is. Everybody understand me. And it's better not to go there. And I can give you all kinds of social reasons not to go there. I can give you life experiences of why not to go there. I, was, I lived in a home of an alcoholic. And there's a lot of reasons why that you should not even go there. But here's my point. Now, someone may say, well, you know, I have liberty to take a drink. Yep, that's fine. But you have a restraint, too. Your restraint is others around you. Because your liberty may be a stumbling block to somebody else. So, for instance, let me just be honest with you. I already told you that there's nothing to forbid it, but you want to say, well, George, do you drink? I haven't taken, I haven't had a drop of alcohol across my lips in 23 years. Will it ever cross my lips? No. Do I have freedom to drink? Yes. But for the sake of others, I give up that right. You understand what I'm saying? Well, you're missing out. No, iced tea is really good. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're missing out. No, I'm not. Here's what, I, here's what I'm missing out on. I'm missing out on watching others look at my example because here I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm watching them destroy their lives because they can't handle it. Well, that's just them. They're responsible for them. No, 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 no. You see, you have to understand, you're thinking like the culture. The culture says they're responsible. Except the culture doesn't say that, does it? But when it comes to you, you say they're responsible. No, no, you're responsible. This is what Paul's trying to say here. You've got to be careful. 
You've got to be careful in exercising your freedom. See, this is the restraint that nobody wants to talk about. The restraint on you being able to do whatever is other people. It's other people. And so, here's the impact. The immature will be damaged by the actions of the mature. The immature will be damaged by the actions of the mature. Here, I'll throw one out to you. This is a, this is a good one. I don't think anybody will argue with this one about the freedom for this one. Do we have freedom to use the Internet? Yeah. Okay. Should it be restrained? Now, I'm not talking about for you. Maybe you need to be restrained. But here's the thing. You may have someone that you know that is addicted to it or is addicted to things on the Internet. Pornography is a big thing. You realize that men and women are almost equal now in their abuse of pornography? Do you realize that? It used to be thought that pornography was just a man thing. No, it's a woman thing now, too. Internet pornography is a major, major thing in our society. How major is it? It's, it's a booming business that they say isn't even going to be affected by the downturn in the economy. you realize that? Billions and billions of dollars being poured into it. Why? Because it's an addiction. Now, here you are. You know that. Maybe you have a family member or something that is addicted to it. Do you not think that your liberty to have the Internet, maybe you might need to what? Restrain it? Maybe just shut off the computer when they're there? They're saying, don't talk about it. Well, you know, I was on the site today. and Oh, did you see that YouTube video? Because they can't handle it. See, the immature will be damaged by the actions of the mature. You say, man, that sounds like slavery. Man, if you think it's, if you've got that thought process, that says a lot about where you're at. If you're sitting here and you're listening to me and you're saying to yourself, well, that sounds like slavery. Your focus is on who? On yourself. Because if you truly cared about the people who were around you, you'd do what? So, for instance, let me give you an example. I know, I know this is, some of you have done this. If you've got a loved one who is really struggling with their health, and, it, and they're, they're just on that edge where they could slip away, but you've got that loved one there, and the doctor says, you need to make sure that you keep people away from them, especially in this flu season, so that they don't get their body weakened. What are you going to do? You're going to put a sign on the door that says, Quarantine! Don't come in here. You got a cough, you meet him at the door with a broom, swapping him out of there, right? You, why? Because you're concerned about that person laying in bed, and you, you know that they're on the verge, and you want them to be here a little bit longer, so you'll do whatever you can to what? You know, and you hear somebody sneezing, get out of here! You know, just, you, I mean, you just take all efforts to protect that loved one. Now, you, now the people I talk might be saying, well, man, you're restraining my freedom. What's your response to that? No, I'm concerned for someone else. See, this is the point. If you're sitting there thinking, man, you're just restraining my freedom. You're just, you're just boxing me in, George. You are thinking about yourself, and you're not thinking about the well-being of others. Can I be honest with you? This is the problem in our churches today in North America. We do our own thing without any concern for anybody else. And then we wonder, why don't I see so-and-so in church anymore? 
He couldn't handle it. He went back into his old lifestyle. You know, so the point is, is that it's going to have an impact. In fact, Paul takes it one step further, and this is the one that you've got to grasp, because most of us don't grasp this. Because when we talk about our selfishness, here's the point. The actions of the mature is, is a sin against others and God. See, your very freedom. See, here's the thing. The knowledge you have, the knowledge that puffs you up says, well, I can do this. There's nothing in the Bible against me doing this. Nothing in the Bible against me drinking. Yeah, but if I drink, I may cause others to sin. And therefore, it's sinning against God. I'm therefore sinning. See, my liberty becomes sin then. See, this is the part we've forgotten. I've got freedom. I can do whatever. I'm not going to be over here in this legalistic side of the room. I'm going to be over here in the freedom room. Woo! I'm free, baby! But the problem is that your freedom, just like the legalistic side, can be sin. Does everybody understand me? The freedom can be sin because by your freedom you are sinning against others and ultimately when you sin against others you sin against God. Here, in fact, talk about immature. Jesus talked about the immature. What did Jesus say the kingdom of God was like? Remember? A little one was brought to him and they, they didn't want the little ones near him and Jesus said, Suffer not the little children to come unto me for such is what? The kingdom of God. And then Jesus said this, and I think it was a greater spiritual point than just actions against children. Whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for them that a millstone be tied around their neck and they be cast into the sea. The ultimate spiritual point there is saying, Jesus is saying, okay, you guys need to be like little children and mature. But if anyone causes you to stumble, it would be better for them to what? Be drowned in an ocean with a giant millstone. You've got to understand, if you've ever seen those millstones, they're big. Why? Because it's sin. You think you've got freedom. I can do whatever. It's in your freedom. And they cause others to be hurt. And you need to recognize the sin. So then here's the principle. Look at verse 13. And here's where we're going to end. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Here's what he's saying. Because of love, we should give up our freedoms for the sake of others. Because of love, we should give up our freedom for the sake of others. You know what? If iced tea made you stumble, I'd give it up. Now, I'd be suspicious. You know, I'd be suspicious. Yeah, I'd give that up too. I'd be suspicious, awfully suspicious. If it was you, Bruce, I'd know. Okay? All right, well, here, here's the thing I want you to see. The principle, here's the principle. You've got freedom. Everybody understand me? You've got freedom in Jesus. This is not the issue. The issue isn't that you don't have freedom. You have freedom. But because of others, I give up my freedom. In fact, let me just close with this. Is that not what Jesus did? Is that not what Jesus did? Did he not give up his freedom, give up the glories of heaven, come to earth, and to ultimately go to a cross to die for our sins? For our sins, not his sins, he was without sin. Did not Jesus do the very same thing? Should we not do it also for others? All right, let's close our time with prayer.